everybody to a very special uh bonus episode of work stoppage my name is john i'm dan and i'm lena and we're an entirely listener supported show so thank you so much for supporting us on patreon it really does go a long way towards keeping the show going if you're not in the discord already hop in there it's a wonderful place where there is a reading group you can attend on saturdays uh, if you don't have stickers yet, please order or please message us on Discord and we will send them to you. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help the most. Uh, I do want a quick note. I think that it, the time did move, so uh, actually check the channel for when the reading group starts. That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right. So to to just roll on into it, uh, you know, just to, to brief folks on who we're going to be talking to today, you know... We've been covering on the show the what's really one of the biggest labor stories of the year, the negotiations between the Teamsters Union and UPS over the single biggest union contract at a private employer in the United States. The potential for a nationwide strike by all 350,000 Teamster members at UPS would be by far the largest strike at a single employer in the United States since... Uh, well, the last UPS strike uh, in 1997. And, and the potential for that continues to grow as we get ever closer to that August 1st contract deadline. And it's been ref- really refreshing during this whole process to see a major company like UPS, you know, this gigantic monopoly that everybody knows and everybody deals with, actually be put on the back foot for once and be forced by the discipline, the the unity, and the worker power of the Teamsters to take their demands seriously and do everything that they can, or, you know, one would think, (laughs) to avoid losing hundreds of millions of dollars in a strike that would only be caused by their intransigence. But that organization and unity that, you know, we've seen from so many Teamsters all over the country didn't just come out of nowhere or magically, you know, fall from the sky. Uh, Just a few years ago, uh, as we've talked about on the show, under the Jimmy Hoffa Jr. leadership of the Teamsters, uh, the union accepted a company-friendly contract against the will of the majority of the UPS workers. And that deal left a bad taste in many members' mouths and helped launch the fight to shake up the leadership of the union with the election of current President Sean O'Brien and the rest of the reform slate, who campaigned on the explicit goal of winning back the losses given up in the last contract. And so we're very excited today to speak with several UPS workers to hear from them how we got to where we are today, what the feelings are about the potential strike among the membership, and how our listeners can support the Teamsters should a strike occur. And so we're so excited to be joined by part-time inside operations steward Scott, package car steward Shane, and alternate steward Ben from Teamster Local 41 in Kansas City. So thank you all so much for coming on the show and talking with us today. Super happy to be here. Big fan, by the way. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're, we're very glad that you guys are hosting us. Yeah, well, thanks for. Uh, we really appreciate you being here on what is going to be the show with the most people on it that we've had so far. <laughs> we, we've got the party line going. 
for, for our <laughs> teamsters here. Uh, very excited about it. And so just to, to start off, I, I figured we'd start real basic. Uh, we're, we're about three weeks away from a potential strike. Uh, the teamsters have made some, what, what seem to be pretty dramatic wins so far in the negotiations, getting things like air conditioning and all cars going forward, eliminating two tiered setups. Uh, but of course, many issues remain to be negotiated over, of course, including the major one of increasing pay for part-time workers. So how would y'all describe the mood amongst, you know, the the rank and file UPS workers about the negotiations? Are workers confident, nervous, excited? I'm sure some mix of all of them. Uh, How how would you describe the atmosphere among uh, workers at UPS right now? Or I I guess perhaps to to go with some more modern parlance, what's the vibe like? (laughs) It's uh, it's really interesting on the shop floor. I would say Uh, last Friday there were two or three of my coworkers that came up to me was discussing issues with management as happens frequently. Uh, so Ben and I were package car drivers in the UPS parlance. That means we drive the big brown delivery trucks, right? And go to businesses, go to residentials, and we deliver and pick up packages and interface with the public. Um, so, you know, mornings are usually pretty chaotic. Um, but there was a lot of tension in the air that particular morning. Uh, we had a security manager that had, for the third time in the last three months, uh, tried to intimidate us mm-hmm. from exercising our labor rights. And he got a stern warning and, and we'll get an unfair labor practice filed against him. Um, but beyond that, a couple couple of our coworkers came up to us, we're discussing with management, just you know, daily business items. And wanted to lay into management. Uh, One of them said, for instance, well, since I've got my steward present and they weren't looking at me, they were looking at the manager (laughs) and just proceeded. And uh, so, you know, overall, I would say that, I mean, there definitely is a mixture of emotions. Uh, There's a lot of tension in the air right now. People are excited I think there is a feeling of confidence that's been building here, but also what's going to happen? We're, we're 20 days away, you know, it's, it's crunch time, you know, and, and everyone kind of feels the weight of that. I got six, seven, eight phone calls from coworkers today, you know, wanting to know, like, do you know anything? What's going on? What's happened since last Wednesday when negotiations fell apart? Yeah, I would say from the, from uh, the part-time side of things, it's actually been really interesting to hear like people who would I would describe as like not involved with the union at all before suddenly coming up to me just like hell yeah let's strike their asses. I mean you know like there we have a someone who's formerly a supervisor uh, and you know he he was happy as a supervisor except he kind of like would tell me like oh, this company sucks like I hate working like for management union is the way to go so he quit and came back. Uh, as a part-time worker and every day he comes up to me and he's just like, what's going on with the contract, man? You know, how can I get more involved? Uh, you know, how are we going to do this? And I'm just like, it's pretty incredible to see that sort of solidarity be being built. Uh, when prior to this, it was, you know, there wasn't quite as much interest. Yeah. That I'm really glad to hear that, you know, there is quite, it really seems like there's quite a lot of energy, 
uh, that's that's going on right now. And uh, I guess that's that's really exciting to hear. But I think another thing that we wanted to do was kind of go back in time a little bit to see how you know we got here. Uh, so were, were any of you part of the last contract fight back in 2018? And like, what were negotiations like? Uh, what you know, what level of rank and file involvement was there, or how have things kind of changed around since then? So yeah, I was. Uh, just starting out as a steward back in 2018 when that contract negotiations was happening. And to the question, how much rank and file involvement was there? Zero. Um, From the very get-go, UPS and the Teamsters sort of jointly released this app called UPS Rising. And it was just like nothing but propaganda trying to sell a contract that clearly sold us down the river. I mean, the last contracts where they established the two-tier wage structure uh, there was not significant advances in pay rates for part-timers, which is a you know big issue. This contract, um, there were all sorts of you know sort of like loopholes that were put in, and throughout the whole process, the the uh, under uh, Hoffa Junior, the teams were trying to press the company line, and you know when it came to the rank and file, we were just basically locked out. Uh, I mean, you. You guys have brought up on many times before the the two thirds rule and how we voted the contract down at the end of the day, and it was still pushed through on us despite you know a lot of criticism. And uh, yeah, it was it was honestly embarrassing. I, as a steward, I remember like the vote count. I was like announcing to the people on the shop floor, sort of just like telling everyone how it went, and we all hated it. So you know, I sort of got like a small cheer when I said we voted it down, guys. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I have to eat my words as they just, you know, push it through anyways. Uh, It was really demoralizing. And I think one of the reasons a lot of people haven't been as involved in the union is because they're they think that's what's going to happen this time around. I I have something but Ben, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, so I think the so I was not uh, a UPS teamster in 2018, but I. I were I was in a different local uh, working uh, as like a linen and uniform delivery driver in a different Teamster local. I've been so I've been a Teamster for about eight years, and I I think the way I could like best convey the like essence of a union such as the Teamsters and the way that it presents itself and the way that it operates is actually like very similar to that of like the Democratic Party. Uh, post like Ronald Reagan, for example, like living in fear, right? Like being unpopular, like hiding, like hiding in a corner, trying to like find a way out. Um, And like, now we find ourselves in this moment in which like support for unions is like at an all time high, you know, maybe not all time high, but all decades high. Right. And so I think it's really just about like kind of like flexing those muscles again is what it comes down to. Um, just kind of, you know, shaking off the rust uh, that's been, that's been there for so long. Yeah. And I, I would add, you know, as, as someone that just got through my fourth year of seniority and just missed the last contract that, yeah, I've, I've talked around with a lot of people that are in my local uh rank and file activists and militants from across the country. And there's, I mean, there's definitely a different energy this year. You know, I, I think for people that, that voted the contract down, it was an enormous disappointment that 
Hoffa Jr., Dennis J. Taylor, who is the director of the Teamsters Package division that UPS falls under, um, that they forced this contract down our throats. And, and that was despite the no vote. And, and to get encouragement from the international is an interesting situation, you know. Um, you know, initially when I started talking with people about Sean O'Brien actually continuing to speak in a militant way after he got elected, which I mean, you can read about his past online and it's, you know, it's not, it's not the greatest past. I mean, there are some question marks about it. Um, but that, that was something that built some confidence in me that, okay, you're actually going to try and hold yourself out to be accountable to the promises that you've made while you were running for election to the highest office in the Teamsters. Right. And several of my coworkers were skeptical, you know, oh, the IBT, they say this, they say that. And, you know, I think the point that, that Ben and Scott and I really have been trying to get across all along. And I feel like there are plenty of people across the country that are doing the same work. Uh, we're all in this together is we're here to help hold the international accountable. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's our role as, as the rank and file, you know, if the international isn't doing what, they've promised, then it's up to us to act as a check on that, right? And to express our concerns, our criticisms. And so it's really good that the international has actually helped, you could say like cajole that process, you know, they've, they've given people a reason to say, oh, wow, they actually like, they, they want us to do things this time. <laughs> You know, yeah. yeah, which means which means that they can be held more accountable. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. yeah, right, yeah, and and you know what y'all have have all said there, I think really gets to you know one of the the distinctions that I've tried to make with folks on the show before about reform in a union versus reform in like you know a bourgeois political party, which is that like at the end of the day, even you know. When you have somebody like a Jimmy Hoffa Jr. in charge who, who, of, of the Teamsters, the, te the union is still an organization made up of workers. And so when something, because that's the thing, like I don't bring up the 2018 contract because we want to, you know, like dig up, you know, old bad times. But to really show it's like that was a really shitty, <laughs> undemocratic move. But in response to that, the Teamster rank and file, you know, rallied. And we're able to make huge, incredibly important changes in, in the way that the union is run democratically, get new leadership in there, and, you know, get on, put on a path. And as, exactly as you were saying, get put in a position where the membership truly can hold the leadership accountable and make real impactful changes. And so, like, that's one of the things that I think has been so inspiring to watch over these last few years is, is, is you know, y'all, the, the rank-and-file members of the Teamsters showing it. It's like reform inside a workers' organization like a union is absolutely possible. People just have to fight for it. And I think that that's been really inspiring to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree with that. I did want to, uh, you know, I mean, because as you were kind of alluding to, I mean, and we, we've talked about, I mean, that 2018 contract still does kind of play a role in that kind of 
dichotomy of feeling the difference between what it was like then and the energy now and we can see the rank and file mobilizing and show and showing the power of the of what the teamsters can be and what a more democratic union can be and i was just wondering if you could tell us what some of the biggest issues that you've heard from your fellow workers that they want to like change this time around when it come like when it comes to like the contract but also like in the way that the members are playing a role and what are the primary issues that the ups teamsters are fighting for uh against ups and also maybe a little bit in like your democracy yeah so i mean two big components to this um i i think the like the important like context to the fight we find ourselves in is always worth reiterating and it's uh, it obviously plays like a essential role in the labor movement as it stands today which is covid right like one of the like large underpinnings to this contract fight is that prior to covid while UPS was making record profits of like $4 billion in 2019, that pales in comparison to the $14 billion nearly they raked in last year, right? So you have this like flash, this like flashpoint, right? And then going from that, you know, to the sellout that we discussed, the undemocratic sellout of the Teamsters you you get this like you you have so much momentum carrying in into this contract and when things get announced like the abolishment of this two-tiered system which is something that Shane and I operate under Shane is in the higher tier as a quote unquote regular package car driver whereas I am what's called a 224 uh we do the exact same work I do it for less pay on a different pay scale and with fewer rights around avoiding things like excessive overtime. Um, so obviously there's like a big, big push, like on the one hand to revert some of these undemocratic changes that were imposed. But furthermore, I mean, just the, the excess in profit that UPS like benefited from directly from COVID while UPS workers, I mean, were put through absolute hell and back, 60, 70-hour weeks, week in and week out for two years. Um, I mean, it's like you couldn't, not to say it's a, per, a perfect storm, but I mean, truly, like like these things colliding with one another, I think has really opened the door for an opportunity here, certainly. One thing I'd like to add on top of that was, you know, during the pandemic, you had a situation where UPS was forcing people to work uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, they had kind of paltry, uh, there is no social distancing inside the warehouse, which is where I work. Um, and on top of that, uh, more than half of the part-time workers that were working during the pandemic actually were had health insurance. So they're forcing these people to work through, it, you know, international pandemic, putting themselves in, you know, harm's way. And then if they were to get COVID and need any sort of medical treatment, they wouldn't even be able to address that because they would not have health insurance. And without hazard pay, without, you know, any of the protections like PPE that we, we deserved, it was just absolutely ludicrous. Um, and membership definitely remembers that. And I think that's, you know, playing into a lot of the solidarity that we feel the people who work through it. 
Yeah, I was I was gonna add to. I think it's a great point that COVID was kind of a, a watershed moment, not just throughout the U.S. and globally, but even particularly in the workplace at UPS, uh, especially. Like if you're a delivery driver at UPS, I mean the the culture that I came into was very much one of don't bitch, don't complain, even though everyone would do that. But people would say things like, you know what you signed up for. You know, who cares that you're working 12, 13 hours on a Monday, then 10 on a Tuesday, 11 on a Wednesday, you know. But <laughs> when people had to go through that, when when my coworkers like and I went through that, something changed, you know. I mean, the longer that it drug on, the more that people felt like it was unacceptable. And you don't hear people talk like that anymore. At least they they don't dare to say those things like nearly as publicly and confidently as they used to. You know, I think everyone gets sick and tired of the forced overtime, which was so bad that I mean, you know, they, they were forcing us to do these very physically laborious draining jobs six days a week, you know, and, and then you would have shills from the company telling us that if we would just follow their work rules, then it doesn't matter that you're working 60 hours a week, you you could stay safe, (laughs) you know, and in fact, it would, it would clearly be your fault, you know, if you got in, if you got into an accident or, or you injured yourself, you know, so that's, that's been a huge issue. And I mean, I, I'm one that, you know, really wants to see what the language is because, you know, as a steward, all of us deal with the contract and we see the ways that the company tries to wrench the contract and bastardize it as far as they can. And, and we despise that, right. You know, but insofar as the internationalists said, Hey, we we've ended forced sixth and seventh day work weeks. That's huge. You know, that that's a huge victory for us. And we're all elated, you know, to hear that because they tried to push that on us for years on end, you know, not just through COVID, but even starting when they felt like, oh, hey, everyone needs their packages delivered on Saturday, too. You know, so that meant everyone, inside workers, delivery drivers, everyone, six days a week, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those things. Because obviously one of the big themes of the last couple of years, especially uh, with the resurgence in union activity and just interest in in the labor movement more broadly among workers that we've seen is, of course, there's the huge cost of living crisis that has, you know, pushed people to have to fight for better wages because otherwise, how are you going to survive? But the one that I don't think ever that really gets talked about in the media as much is exactly what you're talking about, which is that in addition to, you know, no company paying anybody anywhere near what they're worth, uh, you also have the fact that so many workers are being pushed into these schedules where you just don't, you don't have a life at all. You never get to see your family. You never get to take a break just to recover from exactly like what you're saying, like six, seven days a week doing, I mean, doing any job that just with, with no breaks is bad, but to be doing a physically demanding job, like working at UPS, where you're all in 75 pound packages up and down flights of stairs and in and out of hot trucks, or, or if you're working in, you know, a poorly ventilated warehouse moving, you know, 
God knows how many packages per minute uh, that that all the inside folks are doing. And you're doing that day in and day out for 10, 11, 12 hours at a time. And then you go home and it's just like, all right, now I'll take a few hours and go back and do it again. And it's like, you can only do that so long. And so I think, you know, that kind of plays into the next question that I wanted to ask, which is that, you know, to, to your point, like, You have these core issues that you're fighting for because of how bad the working conditions have gotten. But as you're also mentioning, that also creates the groundwork for a lot of totally understandable discontent and people to be ready to fight back against that. And so, you know, we know that the Teamsters have been preparing for these negotiations and the possibility of a strike over them for over a year at this point, you know, this with obviously with this being the biggest single union contract in a U.S. private workforce, uh, it's not exactly something that snuck up on people. And so, uh, and, and as somebody, not just as, you know, a project manager, but also I think more specifically as a communist, as somebody deeply invested in organization and planning, you know, watching the, the, the way that the union has been doing this, like actually trying to engage the membership and actually get people involved early and, and, and doing things like having, you know, the, the, like, all the social media that is, is is being done about the incredible nationwide practice picketing that you're all doing amongst all, all of the other various forms of preparation for the negotiations. So can you tell us a bit about like how the union has been preparing workers for this strike, how you've all, and, and you're all, you know, of course, perfect to talk about this as stewards, you know, how, how the rank and file has been, been kept engaged for, with, with such a long run up to the, the possible strike and, and how y'all have managed to keep energy and unity, you know, high to the point that we've seen a 97% strike vote and, and pickets across the country. I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, as, as a rabble rouser and one of the rabble proudly myself that it's tough. I mean, we're in full time, you know, I mean, we're working most of us a minimum of 45 hours a week. And, and then you have all the union work that, we can get some of it done while we're doing our jobs because we're allowed to, you know, wear a, a Bluetooth earpiece when we're delivery driving and in have conversations with people. But, but really you, you, I mean, we've had to draw on a lot of energy and, and some of it too, I think is, is really, it's spite, you know, it's just that <laughs> it, it's that I, I will say for myself, you know, I've, I've watched the way that, not not just how this company has tried to treat me, but like so many of my coworkers, and and it's appalling. I mean, there's a there's a systemic culture in management of harassment and intimidation, and and if UPS feels like they spite any weakness in a person, I mean, they're they're crafty, they're clever, they they will try to exploit it as far as they can, and and they know that. I mean we're not in ideal circumstances, right? I mean, if if you're a delivery driver at UPS and you have the prospect of making over $40 an hour, and then you have 20 bucks an hour in health and pension benefits that the company has paid for, that's, that's not an easy thing for people to risk, right? It's, it's not an easy job to replace. Um, so people do feel like they have something to lose, you know, uh, especially where we are, you know, I mean, we're, 
we're in the heartland so-called of America, right? You know, we're not on the coast where maybe a wage like that, that's not really very good, honestly, you know, 40, 40 bucks an hour in New York city isn't going to get you too far, but, but here the cost of living hasn't risen so dramatically. And so that's always a check, you know, that's on people's minds. But I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we just bring a lot of energy and commitment to this. One of the things that we've done is create a weekly newsletter. We text that out to our coworkers. We try to host parking lot meetings. We have a weekly meetup after work at a nearby bar where people can come by and and you never know who's going to show up, right? You know, and you never know whether we're just going to be bullshitting about the day or all of a sudden someone's going to have a fiery story about this person got terminated and here's what I think about it. What, do, what would you do? How would you prepare for this? What can we do, you know? where people want to come for the latest updates, you know? Um, but I'll, you know, I'll say lately, I mean, man, I mean, yeah, there's, there's even more energy because everyone knows the clock is ticking, you know, <laughs> like people are paying attention. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I, yeah. That's good organizing. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say too, just to, to, to piggyback off of, uh, what Shane is talking about, you know, um, it's definitely like it is a lot. It's a lot of uh, a lot of grit, a lot of determination. Because as I as I said before, you know this this union is it's a little rusty for sure in the in the rank and file department. Um, but you can you can see the potential there. Like I mean, these practice pickets the last few weeks has been has been pretty incredible. I will say um, there's there's people that are turning out to these things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. First of all, and second of all, then, then then some of our coworkers are like, "All right, so when's the next one?" Can, well, like we're doing that again, right? Like just <laughs> taking for granted, like that was amazing. We got to do Hell it, yeah. do it more, right? And you know, in the same way that the company, if you give them an inch, is going to take them a mile, like take the the union a mile, we have to do the same thing, right? Like it does resonate with people when you talk about these things, like 2019 profits, four billion, 2023, 2022 profits. 14 billion we got we got zero of that guys right like that was all that that all occurred after the last contract was negotiated so now is the time where we recoup some of that because you and i made that so uh yeah no it's a it's a knockdown drag out fight absolutely it is it's it's not easy especially considering that you know as shane mentioned before um we're kind of used to the ibt being sort of like sitting on its hands with a lot of these things so a lot of the rank and file work that we're doing is up coming from scratch. We're we don't have quite the you know revolutionary base that perhaps there once was, uh, and we're kind of the ones that are responsible for starting to get that engagement with people, uh, building things from the ground up. You know, making our own flyers, uh, doing our own parking lot meetings. You know, regardless of whether the IBT or the local is interested in that. Um, but I mean, we've seen nothing but success so far. Like we've seen so much more engagement from our coworkers. We've seen so much more solidarity among members and they appreciate us for that. They recognize that we are kind of, you know, going against the grain of how the international local have traditionally operated to take it in our own hands. And it's really great to see. 
Yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's so encouraging to see that kind of sea change in a union for the better in uh, the American labor landscape, which you don't necessarily get to see all too often. Um, but uh, out of curiosity, you know, because you've been talking about the high level of positive feedback that you've been getting and the the level of dynamism that you've been able to achieve in the union recently. Uh, we're, I'm sure that the discussions that you've been having with your fellow workers in preparation for the possibility of a, of a strike, you've probably encountered a fairly wide variety of attitudes. And have there been any uh, outliers, you could say, uh, maybe folks close to retirement or who otherwise have slightly different interests than the rest of the working base who aren't necessarily excited by the idea of striking? And uh, what are what are your tactics for dealing with people who, who might be hesitant about the uh, possibility of decisive? of labor action. Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, I think it was mentioned before, the uh, strike authorization vote was something along 97% nationwide, which is terrific, but that certainly does leave 3%. Um, and I think those are really interesting discussions to have, actually, because I think they get at something that a lot of, of, of workers uh, deal with that doesn't always get addressed. Um, so in the in the event that you got you got somebody right that's like man I can't afford this I got a mortgage right like I I don't want to go on strike right like what what underpins that concern right like that's what you need to get at it's easy to have a visceral reaction to the idea of someone scabbing but that's not like there's nothing productive to come from reprimanding a member over that like let's get to the bottom of understand like we understand why they feel that way like that that's the that's the reality of being a worker in America, right? So we have to you have to start from there and work through like how in which exercising the withholding of your labor is essential to you paying your mortgage for a lot more than just next month, right? Like those are those are the the sort of angles you want to take on a, on a matter like that. And as far as and and certainly it's it's well well said to point out, you know, a retiree is definitely going to be the type of person that's a little more hesitant to go on strike. They're on their way out the door. Uh, I mean, for one, the the pension is a, a central point of the economic proposal that's that's contentious right now. I think I think it's sort of it's obviously and rightfully so taking a backseat to the part time wage issue. But I do believe there are some outstanding issues with pension payments as well because not to get into the weeds of it but the pension payouts vary based on where you live in this country and some of these pensions are payouts are a lot worse than others um but i mean the the general bargaining principle uh for all unions is that we bargain for the future right so the the way that you address someone in that case or or the way that i have is just to like understand that like you know, if your kid is going to work here someday, and in some cases at UPS, they already do. I mean, do you want them to have a, a, the same experience you did or a better one? Right. And I think that translates pretty quickly for most people. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the bit of abrasion you get on that might be like, well, you know, like, I don't want my kid to have to go through this. Right. Like, they're never going to work here. I would never make them do that. Right. It's like, we'll do it. Do most workers like think that they're going to end up here, right? Like, no, we're, we work because we are required by the society we live in to survive, right? Like nobody, most of us don't end up anywhere of our own volition. So 
just trying to draw those lines for people, I think, is really important. Yeah, that's really awesome. Have you had a lot of success kind of like bringing people into the fold with that uh, sort of um, discussion? Like, have you found that that's, that's had a high success rate of, of kind of flipping people's opinions around? I've had luck on the part-time shop floor. So this is very specific to part-time operations. But uh, we, in our uh, supplemental agreement, are only guaranteed three and a half hours of work per day. And as a result of that, like management will cut really close to that. And so they will, you know, only be giving people 17 and a half hours per week. But what so happens to be the case is that our strike payments uh, weekly are it's five times your uh, monthly dues per week, plus uh, an additional $100 that our local is offering from their strike fund. Um, in the case of these people who are only making their minimum guarantee, they're actually going to be making more money from the strike fund uh, if we were to go on strike than they would if they had come to work. <laughs> so it's been really useful going around just talking to people be like, don't you want to make more money to just hang out with your like buds on this like picket line, like actually go to work? Like, come on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, getting people engaged is it can be really difficult. But I feel like the more consensus you have, uh, you know, around the building, those people slowly start to say like, oh wow, you know, like everyone else on my work area is you know stoked about this potential strike. I should probably reconsider my uh, you know hesitancy on it. <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> I mean the that strike fund thing, which I think underlines perfectly the lies coming out of UPS about yeah. how wonderful it is to to <laughs> to to be there as a part timer. How Absolutely. how they were going on. I think they went on what like I don't remember if it was Bloomberg <laughs> or CNBC and said that the average part time worker only made five dollars an hour less than yes, right, the full time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They, they suggested oh the partners were making thirty four an hour, which is absurd. Absolutely, I absurd. would kill to get that wage. <laughs> a bold faced lie. Yeah. I, I love that, like, because uh, I follow um, local eight hundred four on uh, on Twitter, the 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 big New York City uh, yep. UPS local, who are great posters, by the way. Uh, I big recommend not just for labor solidarity reasons; they're just a good follow in general. But uh, I love that their response was. Okay, here's the page from the contract that says what the wage is. Right. And it's nowhere near what UPS is saying, where it's just, it's not, it's like, look, we can have the back and forth, or you can just look at what the contract says. <laughs> but, but one thing, though, that I, I really wanted to highlight about your response, Ben, I think that is like such an important general point for any organizing, like labor organizing, of course, but, but like political organizing among the, like uh, our, our fellow workers as well, is that like people don't fall out of the sky with, in, uh, you know, a hundred years of class yeah. conscious history <laughs> right. downloaded Absolutely. into their brain. Yeah. <laughs> and so some people are going to have positions on stuff that you may come and think, I can't believe a worker thinks this, this is terrible. But taking that attitude and getting indignant and getting mad at that person for that is pointless. It, it, it's, it, it's often counterproductive. And so like the, the approach there of understanding, okay, well, this person is like 
They've come to this position for a reason. They're not just doing this because they like hate all their coworkers or something. Right. And so you have to engage with them as a fellow worker and try and, and, and as you were saying, like get to the bottom of that so that you can move forward together. Yeah. And I, and I think maybe this is an appropriate time to address, you know, I mean the wedge that UPS is kind of subtly trying to, to put between us is they like to make full-time employees, especially drivers, because the drivers are the highest paid classifications. Um, they, they like to make us think that we have it so good. And, and as I was suggesting before, objectively under, under capital in the moment that we're in, they're not entirely wrong. Of course, it's very disingenuous of them to put it like that, right? I mean, we know who's really got it good. Our CEO, if you figure out an hourly rate at a 40-hour work week, 52 weeks a year, $9,100 an hour last year is, is what she made. You know? <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Yeah. shit. Yeah, you know, and 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 when we when we publicize that to our coworkers, you know, I, I'll I'll never forget one of them said, "Well, hell, I'd be happy with ninety one dollars an hour." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big <Right>? same. <laughs> right. Yeah, but um, but they're they're. I mean, I think you know, objectively, you have to think of like what it, what it is that like forms all of our consciousness our thoughts about all of this i mean even even people like us you know here talking right now and and then when you're dealing with a situation that's very very far from ideal you have people that are like you know a lot of times more willing to to grant the company capital let's just say because that's how i look at ups it's just another instance of capital um has the upper hand always, you know, and, and so it's easy for people to kind of think, well, oh man, you know, like I don't have it so bad. Things could be a lot worse or whatever, especially if you're a full-time employee, you know, now part-time employees, I think the problem there is no, no one has a reason to stick around, you know, no one has a reason to stick around. The turnover rate is atrocious. It's just, almost as bad as non-union shops like Amazon and FedEx, you know, which to my mind has, you know, that's a shame of the Teamsters union that we have to correct. We, we don't have a choice. You know, this is our opportunity right now to turn the tide. And ultimately, you know, Ben Scott and I all think that, I mean, we want an industrial union, you know, like in 1982, if you were a part-timer, you were going to be making just about the same wage that the highest pay scale driver was making. And that's the way it ought to be, right? We're all essential to the operation, but you've got four decades of division and it's always a temptation, you know, for the higher paid employees, our coworkers to look at the lower paid ones and to find a reason to, oh, well, they don't care about their jobs or, you know, it's, they, they don't have as much responsibility as we do. And one of the remarkable things about what's happened, I think, in the last six months even is there have been plenty of people that have changed their minds about that, you know, and that they they might have been inclined, for example, to come in and, and yell at someone that loads their delivery truck in the morning. Why in the hell did you fuck it all up? You know, you've ruined it. Like, my day is going to be terrible. You know, you need to take responsibility. You need to do your job properly. And 
through some of the efforts that we've contributed in and, you know, I think just everything that's been going on in this union, some of those very same people have reached the position that we have right now, which is, yeah, we're, we're going to stand behind the partners. We have to, you know, both, both for like reasons of immediate self-interest, which is, is something that I always appeal to. I mean, I think that's, that that's the genius of the working class. I mean, like you, you can't expect people to like, I don't know, think of things like in like an enormous point of view immediately or something like that. Right. And we all have limitations. Like, Hey, why do you think that like your truck is so poorly loaded? One it's because they're overloading you. <laughs> like the dispatcher mm-hmm. is overloading you. The company wants you to do more work than you're like able to do. And then two, how many trucks has your loader been assigned today? How many packages are they expected? to accurately load how much training have they gotten how long have they even been here how badly does the company mismanage the operation when it comes Mm -hmm. to the loading and you start raising those doubts in people's minds and it's just it's things that people just you know they, they don't have the time to think about it right but you start asking those questions and over time I think you see some good results, you know, and we're, and we're seeing them, you know, it's not to say that, Hey, it's all going to be easy. It's all bread and roses. It's obviously not, you know, I mean, like we're, we're down here in the trenches, things are really messy sometimes, you know, but, but I got to say, you know, I, I, I love the direction that things are going like on the shop floor. I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of positive developments. And to piggyback off that, I do want to say that it's very similar with part-timers. Um, I can't tell you some part of a, a few different like kind of organizing committees and organizations. And it's very interesting because there's a uh, one that is specifically dedicated to part timers. And the list of grievances is always just like incredible because, yeah, a lot of these people have been working 10, 15, 20, 25 years and they're not even making close to what a driver was with, you know, doing just as much back breaking work. And, Throughout every contract since, as Shane said, 1982, we've been sold down the river. And, I mean, not only is there an issue with that, but, like, a lot of us don't want to work part-time. I don't want to work part-time. I want a full-time job. But in our particular facility, there are absolutely zero full-time inside position jobs available. They could absolutely do that. We've got three, like, consecutive sorts. They could make a sort that combines two uh, positions into one full-time job, but they refuse to do that. And there's a lot of grievances you hear from part-timers about the full-time drivers. Uh, you know, they're just going to sell us out. They're, you know, they're only going to take care of the drivers, this contract. They're going to screw us over on wages and just, you know, but I think we've done a fairly decent job of pushing against that narrative by showing the drivers who have had solidarity with part-time workers um, I personally was absolutely like floored when I saw that the negotiations between the Teamsters and UPS had ultimately hit an impasse as a result of part-time wages. It was a moment like of actually feeling like I was seen for a second. We had all been seen. Uh, part-timers make up 60% of the UPS workforce. We really should be the backbone of this company because we're doing uh, a whole load of the work without any of the glory. Um, I think as Sean O'Brien said very eloquently, you know, people know their delivery drive, their UPS delivery driver, 
But the person who's, you know, sweating bullets in a trailer, it's 110 degrees, that's, you know, breaking down their body is just like completely absent from their mind. And because of the turnover we've mentioned, it's very easy for people to think uh, that, oh, well, the, if we have a contract that takes care of the full-time workers, then it doesn't matter what the part-timers think because they just won't come out to vote. And that's unfortunately true because it's very difficult to get uh, involved and feel like you're part of something when most of the people who were working these positions quit after a couple months. Um, So it's been really great to see a lot of the solidarity that full-time drivers have had with us part-timers. And I think we see it too. We know that they've got our back this time and we're actually feeling sort of grateful for that. It should be a no-brainer, but <laughs> gratitude still comes forward for me. <laughs> yeah, and to and to really like highlight this like sort of final leg of this contract fight that we're in, and and the fact that it is centralized around part-time wages. Like, I just want to emphasize the ways in which that is it is so so essential to the labor movement writ large that that this gets across the finish line the way it needs to, because as has been alluded to a lot of, there's a lot of turnover in, in part-time work. I mean, tur- like part-time turnover at UPS is like an, at an indistinguishable rate from that of FedEx or Amazon. And that is obviously by design, right? These companies churn and burn these part-time workers. I, I, I can guarantee you if I go up and down all the new hires in our building, you know, the majority of them have worked at one of those companies at some point, right? So not only does it force the hand of these other companies to address their working conditions of their part-timers, should UPS be held to account here, but it also, and this is something Shane and I have been discussing lately, it provides a serious opportunity for part-time Teamsters to become the backbone of this union, right? Because if there's something worth sticking around for, there's so much opportunity for solidarity to build inside these buildings. You know, it's, you can only talk to so many people on the phone while you're running around in the day, right? But if you're in the building working side by side with someone day in and day out, like that is, that is something that the company absolutely fears. And it is the reason ultimately <laughs> that this is the final outstanding issue in this fight. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that actually kind of leads me into my next question really on, on just how important, you know, these negotiations are because, you know, the, the UPS strike back in 1997, you know, the last one that happened, that was a, a, a major shot in the arm, you know, for the labor movement at the time that was in the doldrums, uh, and, and, you know, of course, some of that decline, unfortunately, has continued, but it was still, you know, that was a strike that nobody at the time thought was really possible. And I think that, you know, when we look today at while overall union density is still, you know, at historic lows, we do have a lot of very exciting, you know, signs of revival of energy in, in, in the labor movement ar- around this country. You know, American workers look more favorably on unions than at any time in the last 75 years. 
There have been a, a ton of prominent union drives that have popped up at companies all over the country that for years we've only heard from the business press. No, you can't organize these. This is impossible. Places like Apple stores, Starbucks, REI. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's all over the place. You've got people trying to organize dollar stores to the point that you have dollar store chains being forced to, to follow Walmart's example and close stores because it's the only way. They have to, they have to break labor law in order to stop people from unionizing. And I think that speaks to where we're, a lot of workers are right now. And so, I mean, we've even seen, you know, student workers organizing on college campuses or in record numbers all over the country. And so in that context where we've got really low union density, but a lot of energy and enthusiasm among workers for unions, for organizing, for coming together more broadly to fight for better conditions – what role do you feel like these negotiations uh, really play that that fight for a strong contract here at UPS in 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 boosting you know the the labor movement as a whole or, around the country? We've seen it as absolutely critical. I mean, I have under I never thought this was just going to be about UPS workers. Uh, I know this has been about Amazon workers. This is about about all the fledgling unions that you've mentioned, the people who are trying to organize Trader Joe's, the people organizing REIs, uh, you know, even FedEx, uh, which is, you know, something we've all long had our eyes on. But being able to have a clear and concrete example of a contract that provides zero concessions, major wage gains, job protections that we previously didn't have, that is a incredible message to send to any worker in the logistics industry anywhere else. And we haven't really seen anything like this before. I can't, you know, obviously 97 was a big uh, example of this, but every contract that I've been a part of from UPS before has been kind of riddled with concessions. I mean, it, what, what's going on right now with all the part-time uh market rate adjustments, which is where the company can't actually pay the contractual wage because it will not entice enough people to work for UPS. So they have to raise the, you know, the wage for, you know, to like wow. 19, 20, 21 dollars an hour just to remain competitive with Amazon. Being able to actually have a higher wage than a typical Amazon worker uh, and have those incredible health benefits and have those like worker protections and safety. That is such a huge like win, not just for us, but for them to be able to provide direct evidence that, Oh, Hey, when you have a union, everything is better <laughs> and no one can poo poo it. Like there's no captive audience guy who is going to be able to say like, well, that was a fluke or, you know, that don't they. <laughs> we're bullied into it or whatever. Like, no, we use the power of our solidarity and the power that we have as Teamsters to win a concession-free contract that is absolutely without precedent, uh, it's in my mind, with uh, UPS. So I have never thought this has been just about UPS. I think of every working person in this country when I think about this support contract campaign. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, Ben and I are in full agreement with Scott about that thought. You know, I mean, I I remember a conversation that I had with a union rep 
it was probably about a year, year and a half ago. And I was trying to bring this up without, you know, really telegraphing that. I mean, Hey, like, like I'm with the red and the black, right. You know, I mean, (laughs) and, and I was saying, you know, I mean that, that part of this whole campaign ought to be about appealing to this isn't just about us. Like this is about setting a tone, you know, and this is about, Hey, even if we want to say it, bringing the Teamsters Union back onto the scene, you know, I mean, this, this union has a proud tradition of violating court injunctions, you know, Minneapolis, 1934, you had the strike in 1994 over UPS, (laughs) Ron Carey led in defiance of the law. Mm -hmm. And, and there's this, as Ben was saying earlier, there's been a lot of rust, you know, and, and timidness to try and shake off. And, and unfortunately this union rep was, I mean, his response was kind of, I mean, kind of characteristic of a certain kind of middle management in, in the Teamsters, which is, well, we can negotiate a contract for everyone. Hey, hey my man, you're, you're missing the point. You know, I mean, no, no one's, no one's pretending that we're doing that, you know? And, you know, we've talked a lot about the part-time issues here. And I think that like a very obvious strategy. So look, I mean, everyone knows the Teamsters want to help organize Amazon. Like that's that's not a, yeah. a secret. And it needs to happen, but that is not going to be an easy task to do. And what better way to actually show your commitment to doing this by giving part-time UPS Teamsters a reason to believe in this union to believe in themselves to believe in the power of our collective strength and hey maybe you could go get a part-time job at amazon you know maybe (laughs) maybe you might take a role in doing this right you know um and yeah i mean i i think it's it's a really pivotal moment you know probably all the listeners know that the uaw has their big three automaker contracts that are coming up right on the heels of us too. And I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a tension in the air and we have to make the most of this, you know, this, this has to get the ball rolling, you know, like defeat is not an option here. It has to be a clear victory. And then then <laughs> what what I think you know all of us want to do here, right, is I mean, we want to carry on from there, you know. We we want that to be an inspiration to other people. We want that energy to just continue the snowball. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And I mean, uh, it's really hard to overstate what a landmark uh this contract is and the kinds of precedents and examples you're talking about that it, it that it can set uh especially with the teamsters already knocking out tears and uh you know making sticking up for part-time workers one of their big issues and i think the enormity of that has certainly not been lost on other unions in the american landscape we've seen uh, a ton of statements of solidarity with the teamsters from them coming from around the country and the teamsters of course uh 
in return, are famous for supporting all other strikes by refusing to cross other unions' picket lines. And so we wanted to ask, have you experienced any cross-union solidarity at your work sites during this effort? And have you seen an increase this time around compared to in the past of unions in different fields coming together for this struggle? Yeah, you know, that's an that's like a an interesting question that is it's it's sort of actually what I would say is maybe been a weak point of this contract campaign. Uh, and that's and I, I don't think that has so much to do with like a, a lack of desire for that that to occur so much as to, again, reiterate that, like this old union is still trying to figure out how, how it moves. Right. Um, but it is something that we have begun to see. And that's something that we also on a, like a local basis have been pursuing. Um, you know, we had a practice picket recently here in town and we had some DSA folks come out and we had some UAWD guys come out. Um, and we've, you know, we've got contacts in a local, in the, in, in the communication workers. Um, but it, I, I would say sort of to like tie back into the previous question uh, of like, how, like, what do we do with this, this contract fight is like, that's like a essential next step, right? Like I, I see that sort of as the parallel to organizing Amazon is also, is also how do we coalesce with one another and, and move forward, like across, like across these like arbitrary divisions, like as insofar as, you know, we're all workers, right? Like the, like the, these distinctions are, are, are like put upon us, right? Like full-time, part-time, regular package car driver, two, two, four are the same thing, right? The, these companies impose these distinct divisions on us. Like we, we don't willingly set ourselves apart in that way. And so I think that's like a really essential next step. Like that's like August 2nd or, you know, whatever day the strike breaks, whatever, August 14th, like that has to be the next thing that happens is, is you got to go down to the the electrical the electricians. You got to go over to the the auto workers who will possibly be on strike a month after. Like we have to reinforce those those uh, lines of solidarity. Absolutely. I think I've been kind of optimistic about that though. As we had, you know, uh, we recently did a strike prep seminar, uh, sort of against the wishes of certain people in the local, but. Uh, I, it went really well. We had, you know, BMW ED, UAW, UAWD, ILWU, um, TDU, like all show up for it. And I, there's a willingness among the more militant members of these unions to, you know, come out for it. Uh, and at, I would definitely agree with Ben that we have work to be done on that. But just as a baseline, it's been really incredible to see the solidarity that's come out of like you know just having dsa come out to our practice pickets like not even waiting until we have actual pickets they're you know coming out just like we want to know how you guys are going to want us to do this uh if it does happen that's really encouraging to me uh i use i tend to be the optimist of the group <laughs> whether that's beneficial or not <laughs> but i i really you know i i am optimistic about that and i've told my uaw friends that you know We'll be there for them in September when the big three automakers, you know, uh, contract expires. Uh, and I truly believe they'll be there for us on August 1st uh, if there does end up being a strike. 
Yeah, and and I mean, one place I know that we've definitely seen I, I, that I feel like has really started to you know play a part in that transformation is you know one of the other big ongoing strikes that's happening right now as we're we're, we're talking has been the writer strike, which is now in I believe its third month, and. I know right from the beginning, the the first week that they went on strike, that I've seen so many members of the WGA like just effusive with 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 their thanks because there have been so many film sets that they've been able to shut down almost entirely because like the Teamsters were backing them up because you know they could set up their pickets and that was good, but you know. It's so hard to make a picket effective in a legal ma- manner in the United States with the the status of current law. But if you can't get UPS deliveries because the Teamsters are not crossing that picket line, it's hard to run a film set. <laughs> and so that you know, I think that sort of thing, it, it, and exactly what you're talking about these other unions, these other groups coming out to the practice pickets. I know you know just to, not to. Not to toot our own organizing horn here. We got some of our, our party comrades out to our, our our Teamsters Local 251 practice picket today, and we'll be continuing to, to show up to those. Shout-outs Local 251 here in Rhode Island. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that these negotiations are such an opportunity, and to and it's so good that, you know, we – we have, you know, militant stewards like y'all, like playing such an important role in helping build these connections. Cause as you're saying, like we've got the writers on strike now, y'all may be on strike in a couple of weeks. And then if, if the big three automakers are on strike, like a month after that, like that's, that's incredible. Like that's one of, that's like the, by far the biggest labor upsurge of my lifetime. So, uh, I think the idea that we can get not only all those strikes happening, but workers sharing cross solidarity and supporting each other to build better contracts at each one of those victories like that, you know, that that's the start of something that might scare a lot of, uh, very rich people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is always good. And I, I wanted to add on to that, you know, it, it, it just reminded me that, I mean, that, that is an important part of teams for contracts. And I mean, we've actually had occasions to have to help, teach people about that. You know I mean? <laughs> like, like you can't assume that people read the contract or, or that they know it. Right. And there's a lot of work about getting that across, you know, to one another. And, um, but I, I mean, I feel like that would be an important point of solidarity in opposition to say Taft Hartley. Right. Which mm-hmm. is, I mean, such an important law that, I mean, Look, I mean, the government, the capitalists, they're they're not stupid. You know, I mean, they they figured out here are some of the most effective tactics that these militant unions have used. And I mean, I hope we can get ourselves into a position where we're able to just openly defy those laws at large. But we have a lot of work in and, and we need some luck, you know, to get to that point to be realistic. But a strategy moving forward would be, you know, to encourage, to get out the word. I mean, you, you need this in your contracts, you know, like I I'll, I'll share a little bit of a story, you know I mean? So when I, when I met Sean O'Brien, I mean, I, I talked to him about the no strike clauses that are in our contract. Right. So yeah, of course we can go on strike when the contract expires, but, but a severe issue in terms of actually enforcing the work rules that we have, 
is we get shunted into this grievance procedure and that's on the company's terms ultimately, right? You know, I mean, if you can postpone the actual decision about these grievances, the settlement of them for years, it's very bad for us on the shop floor, you know? I mean, and, and what, what power have we really been stripped of? It's why, why is it that, you know, why would it be foolish for me right now, you know, to lead a walkout of my coworkers? Well, when the contract you know, like makes it very clear that as a steward, I would be singled out for, for special punishment. <laughs> like, like extra discipline would be applied to me and that I do not have the authority to do that. Right. And yet that limits our ability, you know, to actually enforce what we've won at the bargaining table. And the company knows that. And it, and it puts us into this kind of legal process that, I mean, ultimately it alienates, you know, most of our coworkers, right. You know, like it's, it's very difficult, you know, to get people excited to read the contract and so forth. And, and we, and we have had some success, you know, if we keep on trying, but I think everyone understands, I mean, there's an element of this where like, Hey, it's the lawyers, the lawyers are involved in this, right. And, and we don't want people to be removed or alienated from that process. Right. I mean, our real power, which is what we're talking about right here is, it's our ability to say, fuck you, we're not working. You know, we won't do it and good luck replacing us. Right. And any ability that we have, you know, to stunt and challenge and stymie the efforts to force us to continue working is good, which, yeah, I mean, we, we need the other unions, you know, we need, we need to bring that message like to the other unions, like, Hey, let's lay down our arms. Let's stop fighting about jurisdictions and so forth. And let's honor one another's picket lines. Like if, if you're a union member, you do not cross a picket line. You know, I think that's a very important principle. One thing I saw from, uh, Adam Conover regarding, it was on like a YouTube short or something, but he was talking about sort of the, the loophole of, you don't need to have a sympathetic action clause in your contract to be able to honor a pickup line. That's just a labor right that you have if you're a member of a union. And yeah, it's important for Teamsters and other, you know, should always be in a situation where you will honor every picket line. I mean, we've got um, these uh, wristbands that say, you know, Teamsters don't cross picket lines. And yeah, <laughs> that's just uh, how it is. But every person has a legal right and I would say obligation to respect picket lines and, you know, use that to our advantage at every stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually kind of, you know, really building off the power that the solidarity generated by that recognition, because I think that's a big part of really what not crossing a picket line means. It's it's kind of to what you were saying when we were, you were talking about, you know, feeling seen during the negotiations, Scott, like when you actually, so it's like the union is actually willing when they say part-time pay is a strike issue. They mean part-time pay is a strike issue. Not this is a slogan that we're going to abandon the first second that it comes up. And And I feel like it's the same thing when you have, you know, workers refusing to cross a picket line, which is that you other fellow worker 
are fighting for the exact same thing that I'm fighting for every day at my job. And I'm not going to help the boss screw you over. Absolutely. And so really that gets to the importance of what every, like, you know, what this is all about ultimately is, is that recognition of our shared interests as workers and, and, and that, Unions have been, you know, shown over time and, and, and through collective struggle and, and ups and downs. And uh, it certainly hasn't always been a straight line of a process, but to be one of the most powerful forms that we can use to wield our collective power. And so with all that build up, I say that really to ask, like, you know, what would you say that you've learned, you know, from your organizing efforts, your, your time as stewards, that you would tell to somebody if you were you're talking to one of our listeners or just you know somebody that you run into you're at a bar somewhere and you're talking to somebody randomly just to pass time and and maybe they're not in a union or they feel like their union isn't as powerful as it should be uh what would you say that that you've learned from your time as as organizers as stewards as as union members uh, to help them, you know, build power in their workplace, in their unions, and to help, you know, maybe motivate a bit. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that that we've encountered a lot throughout the last six months or so is as people get more engaged, they want to know, you know, what can I do to help, right? And that's phenomenal, like, in a contract campaign in this fight, right, that people are coming up to you offering that. But if you find yourself in that position ahead of them right like what i would say is like is a couple of things first of all like don't ask for permission like go like i'll tell you firsthand like there has not been much asking of permission that has been done over the last year uh uh, for shane shane and i especially like you you gotta just go do it and along those lines as well i mean to get to get a little like a little personal here so, you know, I've been a UPS driver for a couple years, but I've been a Teamster for eight, right? I was my shop steward uh, at my last job, and I worked that job through the brunt of COVID and well before that. And, and it, was, it was brutal in a lot of the same ways. Uh, I, I had really early hours that I would start my route. I'm out there by myself. I'm delivering uniforms into various workplaces that much like UPS are not enforcing any health and safety guidelines, PPE, so and and so forth, right? And I have a family member who has had three kidney transplants. My dad has lupus and I was basically the the like personal Instacart driver for my parents who didn't leave the house for the better part of three years. And I say all that because I don't think that that's an uncommon type of circumstance that we find ourselves in, to be clear, right? That's that's not unique to me by any means. A lot of people have had similar experiences. But I came through all of that like feeling very alone and isolated. Uh, and I sought out this job at UPS because I knew that if I could get on as a driver, that ultimately I could make a good living, right? I didn't have any intention to do what I found myself doing. 
I, I, I felt like I had tried to fight that fight on my own and I lost. And so I was looking for, you know, a way to get by and very serendipitously, even though Shane and I have been working in the same area for the last couple of years, uh, we sort of stumbled into each other less than 10 months ago, maybe now it's been uh, as crazy as that sounds. I feel like I've known him my whole life. Right. So the point I'm getting at is find somebody, right? Like we, we all recognize that like we can't do any of this as individuals, right? Like that communal strength, that solidarity is what drives us. So like first thing, those are the things you got to do. You got to go find somebody. And I promise you there's someone there. I had no, (laughs) I had no fucking idea Shane was there and he was standing right next to me for like a year and a half. Right. So like have those conversations with your coworkers. Like you will be shocked. You'll be amazed. Like it will change your life. It has changed mine. I've reinvigorated beyond anything I ever could have imagined uh, from the solidarity I found with both Shane and Scott and a lot of other brothers and sisters that we've met over the last 10 months. I'll agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, the, <laughs> I met Shane at uh, uh, a bar at the month, or weekly meetup that we've been doing uh, every Thursday. And I just happened to notice that he was wearing a, a, I can't remember if it was a Teamsters jacket or a Teamsters shirt. And I was, you know, uh, we started kind of like talking about, uh, you know, the, the fact that we're both, you know, we're like UPS workers at different facilities and ended up talking over the course of the whole night. And then, you know, he ultimately invited me into all this organizing we were doing. And I've been a, UPS teamster for 10 years and a steward for five of those, but it's been sort of incredibly lonely to some degree because it's very difficult to find a whole lot of solidarity among part-time ranks uh, occasionally. I, I do have people that I can rely on for that, um, but coming across another person who is as passionate as I was about really making change and really pushing the envelope as far as like how our union is going to make change within this company and flexing every muscle we have was, I almost, it changed my life in such an immense way. And I, one of the things that, uh, I would say, and I think this was put in, um, Jonathan Melrod's book, fighting times is the best part about organizing and about doing all this work is it's a blast. It's the funnest thing you can imagine doing. You're out there building solidarity with your brothers and sisters. You're out there making a difference in the lives of so many working people. And what could be more fun than that? <laughs> it's There's a lot of work, but it's the most rewarding thing you could possibly do with your time. Um, so I'll leave with that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I echo your sentiment, Scott, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's the thing about trying to organize, you know, I mean, you would say what we're doing is internal organizing in the, in the union parlance, right? You know, um, we're already a union and yet we've gotten badly disorganized like for a long time. And, and there's a sense that you can start afresh and, I mean, what's been remarkable about all of it is just the way in which it's 
I mean, it's hard work, but it is like you feel like you actually belong with other people, you know, even even though there will be times where you think, man, I'm walking out on a limb right here. I'm picking a fight. And and I don't really know where everyone stands about this, but I feel like it has to be done. You know, um, we we can't let the company get away with what they're trying to do right now, you know? And yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just a feeling of like, I, I guess I would say, you know, I think right now, you know, there's this like conversation that, Oh, you know, we have the internet, we have social media and I mean, we spend our lives on our phones. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you can look around and see that that's what people are doing and we're really atomized, you know? I mean, despite having all these means of connecting with one another, I think a lot of people have that feeling of being alone, of being disconnected. It's not surprising that that rates of anxiety and depression are so high in the society. I mean, we live in a city, Kansas City, where conditions are are pretty desperate, you know. I mean, we're we're on track to set another record high for murders in like this is the third year we're on track for that in the last five or six years, you know? Um, and so you feel like, you know, when you get to start to know people that, Hey, we actually can do something about this, you know, and maybe it's not, it's not as tremendous as, as we want it to be, but you meet other people, you get to know them and people are endlessly fascinating and you learn a lot of things about yourself. You know, I, I guess I can, conclude this like rambling thought that doesn't really have an obvious like bow tie to it that like in in 1934 you know i mean the teamsters launched a tremendous strike against formidable odds and they faced off against you know i mean they faced off against the capitalists they faced off against the deputized thugs of the capitalists they faced off against the police right and and they shut down minneapolis and st paul it was and i mean this union would not be what it was if it wasn't for what happened in 1934 and you know there were other things that happened in 34 across this country that were amazing too the longshore workers you know uh i forget the factory in toledo ohio that the the auto light there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the remarks that came out of one of the leaders of the strike in, in 1934 in Minneapolis was it, it's not the mark of an organizer to write someone off lightly. And 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 I think, you know, that that's a message that I would really deliver to to anarchists, communists, socialists, like it's very easy for any of us. And I have a very big tent view about that, despite how I thought about it in my twenties, you know, like now I'm almost 40 and I feel a little bit differently, but I haven't lost my fire and my spirit about this. Like it's, it's very easy for us to feel alone, you know, and to feel like we're weirdos. People don't understand us. You isolate yourself, you know, but you've got to go get involved, you know, and you've got to stop writing people off. You know, you have to, you have to do what you can to to juggle a lot of difficult tasks, you know, like we're, we're not about, you know, to sit here and like look the other way. If like people are openly being racist or, you know, <laughs> like sexist, like if they hate transgendered people or something like that, 
And then on the other hand, we're not looking for reasons to despise and condemn other people. You know, I mean, we're, we're looking for ways to connect and that's not easy. You know, I mean, I think it, it, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of heart. I mean, there are like times where I have to have a conversation with someone where I'm like, I don't know if I'm capable of doing this, but you are, we all are. You know, I think we, we really are. We, we are, you know, and you just need a little bit of a boost. And like Ben said, it helps. It helps when you've got your comrades, you know, it really helps. Like, hell yeah. Yeah. Gosh, y'all are going to make me cry. This is so, so touching. I mean, really, uh, so, such great and, and awesome words. I did want to give y'all like an opportunity if you had any uh, last comments that you wanted to say. Or also, we kind of wanted to know, uh, it, where is it that people can look towards for like when the strike happens to like do, where are the picket lines necessarily going to happen or, or like how can they support right now? Um, I mean, so it's going to be, I mean, you're going to have to do a little bit of digging, uh, as far as like on a local level, like how to get involved. I mean, like as you guys shouting out local 251 in Rhode Island, like you're going to want to find your local Teamsters union is a good place to start. Um, and you know, frankly, depending on where you are, you might not get very far, say if you were in our local by contacting the the union hall. So you got to kind of find the plucky upstarts. Um, maybe, maybe they're in your local BSA or what have you, and, and they can direct you, um, from there on how to get involved. But the picket lines generally, they're always going to be at these UPS facilities, right? We got to hold the line right outside the facility. So, uh, a good old Google map search will help you out there. It's, it's, I think they get referred to as like UPS customer centers on Google Mm -hmm. maps in a lot of instances, if anyone needs that clarity. Yeah, if you're uh, you're interested in the stuff that we're doing, we also have a rank and file organization within our local uh, called Rank and File 41. You can find info at rankandfile41.org. It's primarily geared towards people who are actually within the local, but uh, you know, any sort of shout outs always help. Uh, we just actually released a petition and companion article about transparency with the. Um, tentative agreements for all the supplements. Uh, if you're interested in following my antics on Twitter, uh, you can find me at rank and filer. It's at the Arkenteron, but it's better to just search rank and filer. Uh, we also have a Twitter for, <laughs> uh, <laughs> rank and file 41 that I have completely neglected, but I should probably start picking back up on. Um, and yeah, as they said before, Google UPS customer centers and make sure it's not like a UPS store. Uh, But I'm sure a lot of this information will start to get more publicized as we get closer and closer to August 1st. Yeah, just if you need to, you can also contact your local Teamsters uh, local hall. And if you're interested in helping with some solidarity pickets, I'm sure they, depending on the local, they'd be happy to have some solidarity on the uh, picket line. That's my best yeah, advice, it, I guess. I would say, I would say, yeah, just like real quick thought on that too. If say you do get in touch with a, your local union hall, uh, definitely inquire about their food stores, their food bank situation. Um, 
non-perishables are going to be like really crucial to holding a picket line. And that's not just food, right? That's shampoo, that's deodorant, that's diapers, so forth. We have several coworkers who are like having children right now that are, you know, about to go on strike. So like that, that stuff's real. So yeah, if you get any traction uh, in your area, definitely inquire about donations because that can go a long way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll say, we want to thank you all again for having us on here. Yes. We really appreciate thank you, it. Thank you, thank you, know, thank you. We, we, we appreciate the solidarity and the support. And uh, if we're on the picket line, which I, I really, I think we will be, come down, join us, get, get, to, get to know your fellow workers, you know, and we're, we're going to win this fight. We will. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. It's Damn our straight. pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we have been talking with uh, part-time inside operations steward Scott, package car steward Shane, and alternate steward Ben from Teamsters Local 41 in Kansas City. And it has been such a privilege and honor to talk to all of you. And uh, it really just does mean so much. Uh, we also want to thank our patrons for supporting us. It's what allows us to do this show. It's what allows us to, you know, have these great conversations. And that also means so much to us. Uh, jump in the Discord to hang out and talk about what you learned in the episode or whatever. Uh, all the links are at workstoppagepod.com. As always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity. Fuck yeah. solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Oh, the shadows of doubt are in many a mind. Looking for an answer they're never gonna find. But they better decide, cause they're running out of time. For these are the days of decision. Oh, the games of stalling you cannot afford. Dark is the danger that's knocking on the door And the far-reaching rockets say you can't wait anymore For these are the days of decision In the face of the people who know they're gonna win There's a strength that's greater than the power of the wind and you can't stand around when the ice is growing thin For these are the days of decision I've seen your heads hiding neath a blanket of fear When the paths they are plain and the choices are clear Oh, with each passing day, boys, the cost is more dear for these are the days of decision There's many a cross that burns in the night And the fingers of the fire are pointing as they bite Oh, you can't let the smoke keep on blinding all your sight For these are the days of decision now the mobs of anger are roaming the streets From the rooftops they're aiming at the police on the beat And in city after city you know they will repeat For these are the days
days of decision There's been warnings of fire, warnings of flood Now there's a warning of the bullet and the blood From the three bodies buried in the Mississippi mud Saying these are the days of decision There's a change in the wind and a split in the road You can do what's right or you can do what you are told And the prize of the victory will belong to the bold For these are the days of decision Yes, these are the days of decision Yeah, you know, it was we were we were being really funny before uh, we hit the record button, but I guess no no, no cold open on this one. <laughs> no, I'm jealous. I missed that. Watch into it, huh? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I think this is the sort of topic that doesn't need a cold open. Yeah. No. Yeah, it wouldn't fact, necessarily be. Now I'm going to put it at the end just to spite us. <laughs> yeah, <that's what> <laughs> All right. Oh man.